that's where we're at. We're getting yeah. murdered on yeah. ease of use, on professionalism, but we're very flexible. I mean, you know what? You might make you might make somebody a loan that's D paper at 12% that somebody else might make at 32%. But people like me, uh, you're just going to make us better than a rat carrier on crack. You're listening to the Credit Union Leadership Podcast, a podcast that delivers value and offers up insight that'll help your credit union grow. ServiceStar has been consulting with credit unions for over 20 years, growing them in the areas of cultural development, leadership development, and management training. To learn more about what ServiceStar can do for you or your credit union, check them out at servicestarconsulting.com. You have been served. I remember I got that in the letter in the mail from jury duty, but no, serving is something that's a part of our daily consumer business, whether we're doing something online or making a phone call or walking into an establishment. What excellent service looks like and why it's so rare. Today, we got Michael Neal on the podcast to talk exactly about that and where service stands in credit unions today. Hello, Mike Neal. Hello, Mr. Scott. How are you? (laughs) Fantastic. So we get the privilege and the pleasure to walk into credit unions a lot of times to train on sales, culture, leadership development, and service uh, level development, Uh, specifically talking about service excellence. uh, What are some of the trends that you're seeing in credit unions today? Um, Well, the trends aren't really good. Um, (laughs) I mean, last year, for the first time ever, ever, uh, credit unions scored lower than banks in service delivery. And so uh, never thought that would happen, uh, but here we are. Uh, and I believe what has happened is that there has been a shift in service to um, speed of service um, and uh making it easy to do business with me. Uh, So technology has had a piece of that, but not all of it. Um, If you look deep into the numbers, where banks kill us is in professionalism and product knowledge. And so where we kind of win the day is on being friendly and being flexible. Uh, But we're not many times particularly easy to work with. And I can just tell you story after story after story. I mean, I'm obviously a consumer of a credit union. Um, I have a few credit unions I've interacted with over my time. And the last two automobile loans at two different credit unions, uh, one uh, helping my daughter secure one. I just give you, let's give you a brief story. So she goes online because, you know, they want everybody to apply online, not come into branch anymore, right? So she goes online. She lives in Nashville. The credit is in Atlanta. What's the first question you have to ask a loan application? What is your branch of record? Now, this is a big credit union. This is not a little credit union. This is a very big credit union. So what is your branch of record? Hey, dad, what's my branch of record? Um, just pick any of them. It doesn't matter. Well, will that, will that impact my uh, loan? No. I mean, I mean, you contact the call center and they don't have the call center on there. 
So we used to live in Fayetteville. So just say Fayetteville and move on. Ring, hey, dad, how do you answer the second question? What's my VIN? Okay, the VIN is your vehicle identification number. And go to your car and get your insurance card out. And it'll be on there. It's a big, long series of letters and numbers. Ring, I'm telling you, a a college-educated, smart person could not get to the first two questions of the loan. All right? So, uh, again, I I could go on and on with this. You don't have to because as credit union professionals, we know exactly why we got in our own way there, right? That first question is because the branches are like, hey, we're missing out to online loans. They're like, solution put the branch ID up on the online space. Hey, everyone's happy now. No, Rachel Neal is calling Mike because I don't know what my branch, and then they they title it in a way it's foreign as well. Branch of Uh, record. Yeah. Um, And the the current credit union I'm working with, um, I've been been assessed a a collateral protection uh, insurance for two months because my... Uh, insurance company uh, sent them the insurance for the item, but it didn't use the word comprehensive. It used the term, um, it used their term. So they just started, they sent me a letter. And of course, by the time I get the letter, I call them. And of course, it's a mess to go through their, you know, third party system. Uh, where I talk to the insurance person. Yeah, it needs to be comprehensive. I, I sure it's comprehensive. We need to say that word. Now, I'm going to call my insurance company to say, you've got to rewrite insurance. You see, I can go on and on. It, it, it's, it's that type of foolishness. Now, you know what? I go to the dealer. I'm out of there in 15 minutes. And you know what's going to happen? Whoever does my insurance does not care. They will figure out how to make that work. They'll reach out to the insurance company if they do on their own. But no, now I'm playing the middleman on terminology I don't understand, credit union terminology and insurance terminology. That's where we're at. We're getting murdered on ease of use, on professionalism, but we're very flexible. I mean, you know what? You You might make somebody a loan that's D paper at 12% that somebody else might make it 32%. But people like me, uh, you're just going to make us matter than a rat terrier on crack. If you've got to change the wording of the insurance to meet your criteria, when this insurance company, very large insurance company, writes these in, writes this insurance all the time, and you know I'm looking at its collision and all the things that it covers, this, that, the other thing, and they just didn't use the word that you want to hear, Wow. You think I understand that? I don't. So that's that's part of the problem is that we have not taken the time, many of us, to look at the member's experience from the thought, I might want to borrow money from the credit union for an automobile to the end product. What we do is we say, we let our We let our collections people uh, write our loan apps. We let our compliance people write our loan apps and our IT people write our 
a program or loan apps. And then we go, well, we got to get this or we got to get that. Well, they need to do this and we need to do that. And so we got to make sure they don't. And so what we do is we wind up building something that will protect us, except for the people that really know how to defraud us anyway. And there's no protection for that. But it, but people like good old Mike, Neil or Rachel uh, can't even get through the first two questions in a loan app. How do you how do you get people to be service minded individuals? Uh, it's really hard. I'm telling you, um, Scott. Four point five million people quit their jobs last month. Four point five million people quit a job that they had last month. Now, if you look at the jobs outstanding. They didn't quit their job and go work somewhere else. They quit their job and just quit their job. So we're in a situation now where we have so many more jobs open than people who are capable. I don't even want to talk about willing, just capable of functioning in the way we want them to function. So what we're doing is we're lowering our expectations because a body is better than nobody. I'm not saying that, but people are saying that. And what they're doing is they're hiring people who will fill a location or a spot. And they're not changing the way they hire. They're not changing the way they pay, not changing their structure of their pay, (coughs) pardon me, such that it will do anything different. In fact, some of them are still hiring for a position after somebody turns in their notice. Well, if you do look at the math that I just threw out there, you need to be interviewing people 24 seven, 365, because somebody is going to quit and you need to have somebody fully trained by the time they leave. Uh, so I think part of it is our hiring structure. I think part of it is just we're settling on the people that we're hiring. Um, now, and, and again, I, I'm not decoupled from reality. So we've got some HR people out there going, you know, if I see Mike Neal, I'm going to punch him in the throat when I see him. <laughs> understand the living hell I've been going through. Uh, I, I get it. I get it. But what I'm saying is this. If we're going to hire someone who does not know how to say yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, we're going to have to teach them that that is the way we speak to people. If I hire somebody that doesn't know that when you come into work, that your underwear should not be showing, it is not a part of your fashion statement, then we need to teach them. But what we're doing is we're not establishing these expectations for what it means to give service, to dress well, to speak well um, up front so that people can comply. What we're doing is we're having a conversation. What are we going to do about that guy out there at, you know, Westside? Have you seen him? He's an embarrassment. Now, who's going to go talk to him? Hey, Ricky. Uh, Nobody wants to have that conversation. So if we're going to hire people that we're reaching on, maybe we, we should establish some expectations up front. Service standards, I would call them. Um, agreed upon service behaviors, um, service level agreements. 
then we would teach them early on that this is how we speak. This is how we interact. This is how we look at people. Um, this is how we respond to people rather than going, well, all we can do is hire who we can hire and then whatever. And then you wonder why the coaches aren't coaching because they're seeing who we're hiring and they're seeing nothing's been done to establish these expectations. And I tell you, of all the people who aren't going to send somebody home, it's a branch manager is already down two people. And I'm going to just tell Billy, you need to untuck your shirt and put your, have your shirt hanging out because I don't want to see your waistband of your underwear. They're not going to send him home. And one, he he is like, what? I thought this was cool. So I, I think we can't change the economy. We can't change the worldwide economic situation. We can't change our government's um, financial policy. We can't even do that other than we got one vote. But you know what I can do is I can say, given what we're seeing, we're going to have to do something different. How do we not compromise our service levels? What do you What do you do if you got a six year old? There are things you have to teach a six year old that you expect of a twelve year old. Why? There's a maturity difference. So I'm not hiring a 30-year-old. I'm hiring an 18-year-old. I'm going to have to teach them some things. And so I just think we're we're going, well, you know, once this pandemic ends, this pandemic's never going to end. We're going to have the Zeta variant, you know, at some point in time. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. People are going to get sick. Things are going to happen. Economies are going to go haywire. And, and what we have to do is uh, say, this is our standard. We're not compromising that. Given that and who we're hiring, where do we fill in the gap? But sometimes we're not doing that. So it comes down to coaching behaviors. And if you if you coach the behavior up in every way it needs to be coached, then you're going to be talking to people about professional image member recognition, having a fast response, being consistent, having concern for complaints. These are all service level agreements that you would set as a standard and then coach to after the fact. Any parting thoughts on you've been served, which is more and more rare today, yet the the standard for service hasn't changed. Mike, 1930s to 2030, uh, having good service looks similar, doesn't it? Um, so how do we... It hasn't, changed that. it hasn't changed as much as we like to think it's changed yep. um, because it's still about connecting with people, being empathetic, and individualizing your interaction in some way. But l- let me say this, you know, I'm always the coaching guy, you know, Mike's going to beat up the coaches. Can I just say this? There's two steps before we get to coaching, Scott. I'm not going to be beating up a coach for not coaching to something that where the expectation has not been set, nor has the person been trained to do it. Now, how am I going to coach somebody who the organization has not said, this is the standard and this is how you do it? I'm no longer coaching. I am uh, training, I'm setting expectations, which are part of my job, but guess what's gonna happen? 
If you leave it up to the coach, you do it. Guess what? The West side outcomes are going to look a lot different than the East side outcomes and the North side outcomes. If you want consistency and you want an organizational standard, we're going to have to say, this is the expectation. We're going to train you to do it. Now you can go coach it, but you can't coach it till those two things are done. Thanks, Mike, for being on the podcast today and talking about service. We really do have a new pandemic in the service industry. And as credit unions, our differentiator is people helping people. So hope this levels up your ability to do just that. If you're looking for more, Service Star has been helping credit unions with service improvements, internal and external, for over 24 years. Reach out to Scott at ServiceStarConsulting.com and we'll catch you on the next Credit Union Leadership Podcast.